Every day, a small group of people are making quantum leaps forward, building wealth faster than most dream possible, almost like they have the Midas touch. On Breakaway Wealth, we'll unlock the secrets to breaking out of the herd, thinking big and building wealth on our own terms. And now let's join our host, the creator of Create Tailwind, and your abundance advocate, Jim Oliver. Welcome back. This is Jim Oliver, your host, and with me today is my great co-host, Nick Costco. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Always a pleasure to join. You know, I, I always look forward to recording this as we walk through the book. You know, we use this book every day when we're working with our clients at Create Tailwind, and as we're coaching clients and showing them really the amazing mastery of this book. And then what I mean by that is everything that you need to know about becoming your own banker is in this book. And there, there's little things like we teach people to build wealth at createtailwind.com using infinite banking, but becoming your own banker, just the basic concept, there's no book better than becoming your own banker by R. Nelson Nash. You know, you know what I love is if, if we were able to talk to Nelson right now, he would, he would personify not having the arrival syndrome because he would sit here. This is his masterpiece of a book, the fifth edition. And he would tell you that there are things in here that he would do differently. Right. Like his, his education, his learning continued all the way to his graduation day. And I find that pretty inspiring. And you know what I love is I love the story that a friend of ours down in Alabama told me the day before his surgery, which he fully intended to make it through that surgery, the day he graduated during his surgery, he was teaching, I think it was one of the nurses or somebody that came in about Austrian economics <laughs> and infinite banking. And, you know, that's just Nelson, not only learning till the end, but teaching till the end. Yeah. Well, he, he, he felt like we do. He had a calling to share this. And he couldn't control how people received it, but he knew that he had to continue to move and share the message. And that's ultimately what we're doing. Absolutely. So we're going to dive into some of the pages again in this episode, and we're going to look at creating the entity, which for everybody that has their book that starts on page 36. And, you know, I think that when I first read this page, you know, I looked at the 1958 mortality table that's on here and looking at this and thinking, well, that's old. I mean, does that even apply? But, you know, I missed the point completely is what I'm trying to say, Nick, in the very beginning, because, you know, what Nelson is trying to show us is that how the actuaries engineer the insurance policy and how that they use the principles of insurance like selection and actuarial data to price the policies so that failure isn't an option. Yeah, and there's a lot of misinformation out there about how this is done. And we, we even talked a little bit about how this is over-engineered. We talked about that a couple episodes ago in making this, you know, with the, the actuaries being the engineers, as you, as you just said, is they go to great lengths to do this. And that's what Nelson's doing here. He's showing you exactly what's going on. Right. And, you know, using the 1958 table, he's saying even at the 1958 table, this worked, right? And, in, and now people are living longer 
And, you know, he gets into a little bit about retirement. And I think that's really interesting. You know, on page 36, he really goes into the selection, how the policy is designed, how dividends, how their mortality experience, all that kind of plays into it. But then he says, well, let's go in and talk about Franklin Roosevelt and age 65 retirement. Now, that retirement and Social Security came around in the mid-1930s, 1937. And Nelson says, from all I can determine, I love how Nelson does that too, from all that I can determine, (laughs) is that the life expectancy for males in America in 1937 was 61 years. Yeah. And retirement age was 65. Yep. Now, when Nelson wrote this book 20, 25 years ago, it was mid-70s. Now it's late 70s, and it's only getting longer and longer. We just have now the 2017 mortality tables, and all of these products are coming out to be based on the 2017 mortality tables. And he's showing you 1958. Now, Jim, those mortality tables don't come out every year, right? They do not. It was 2001, then 2017. Those are the last, and I think it was 1980 or 88 for the one before that. I think it was 1980. Something that sticks in my head, but it could have been 88 too. Don't hold me to the the details okay, cool. on that. But hey, the, po- the point is, this isn't for for you out there, our listeners. This stuff isn't updated annually. I mean, there's a there's so much information that goes into building these, but it's not done every year. So Nick, in 1937, people lived to 61, they retired at 65. Now people are retiring at 65 or maybe even a few years younger than that. And they're living for a lot longer. And a lot of people are living into their 90s, right? Yep. So how is Social Security going to survive? Don't know. I don't want want it to be a factor for me anyway. That's right. It's not going to work is what Nelson says, right? And you shouldn't count on Social Security for your retirement, you should not count on it being there because I think there's other things that we can do. And if we can recapture all the lost opportunity costs and the interest that we would be paying to other people, if we can recover all that, we don't have to rely on social security, all right? Place. We're going to get into a page here in about seven or eight pages that is going to prove that somebody with very low means recaptures over $700,000 of interest and then earnings on that interest. And we're going to really dive into that one page probably for, and we have done this on page 45. Yep. We've, we've dug into that for one podcast. Well, well, any of the, any of the programs out there, you're still relinquishing control and you are relying on hope as, yeah. as your, as your strategy. Hope's not a strategy, but you are hoping that you don't run out of money before you die. That's, That's right. That's ultimately what's happening. Now, maybe that that account has your name on it. Maybe it's got U.S. government's name on it. Whatever it is, but you're hoping it doesn't run out of money. What this all is is, hey, if you finance everything that you buy over the course of your life, you're going to have way more money in here to sustain you to the day you die than than you ever imagined. Right. It's just it's a nice byproduct of this. And, and that's really what he's saying is, listen, you finance everything you buy. Let's just run it this way. The, the ideal platform is this entity. And we're going to solve multiple problems at once instead of this either or life that everyone else propagates. Right. 
Absolutely. Now, Nelson gets into term insurance. And term insurance was created 200 years ago, over 200 years ago. And it was this, Nick, is your, how old are you, Nick? 44? 42. <laughs> I'm always trying to make you older than you are, Nick. <laughs> okay, you're 42. If I knew what I knew now at 40, no, I'm just kidding. Um, is at 42 years old, they would calculate what your chances of death are in the yep. next year. They would charge yep. you that rate. Chances are you're not going to die. So then they would charge you 43, 44. About the time that you would hit in today's world, you would hit 65, 70, 75, where some of the people in your age group start to die. Yep. Your cost of insurance would go up and up and up, and it would just get to the point where you couldn't afford it. Because it's a certainty. Death right. is so, a certainty. <laughs> and, and it was great for the insurance companies because, as we know, less than 1% of all term policies today ever pay a benefit because there's only one benefit with term insurance, and it's what? Death benefit. <laughs> so here's the way that you really win with, if you really want to take it to the insurance company, Nick, is, is you got to sign the application, fund it, and then walk outside and get hit by a truck. Yep. Or a bolt of lightning, right? Yep. Everyone will do the trick. So, but you got to die. Well, I don't want to die. I want to have other benefits from my life insurance. So we're going to actually go away from the book for a minute to talk about the benefits and design of the insurance contract. Now, I want everybody to read these pages, 36, 37, 38, and 39. Now, we're going to come back to 39 and talk a little bit about universal life and variable after our kind of departure here. But I have a different way of explaining the life insurance, and we're going we're gonna to just look at that for a minute. All right, so when we look at life insurance, in life insurance, there's a minimum premium that you could pay. So let's just say, for instance, you're going to buy a $500,000 policy, but what I mean by that is a $500,000 death benefit, okay? Because when we're just talking about life insurance and life insurance agents, they focus on death benefit. They're not like IBC practitioners where we're focusing on $500,000 might be the capitalization, right? We don't look at the death benefit. We make it the lowest death benefit, but to keep it within the MEC line, but, but we look at capitalization, insurance agents, insurance companies look at death benefit. So when I say 500,000, it's death benefit. Okay. And before you, go, before you go much further, I like how you do this with, when we're talking to prospects and clients, you call this the 10 minute lesson in life insurance. And you usually say at the end or before is, hey, at the end of this, you're gonna know more than 90 plus percent of life insurance agents about this. And I'll say this, as someone that had a life insurance license almost 10 years ago, I knew none of this. This is not necessarily taught to this degree in, in such a succinct way. And it's crucial to understanding um, infinite banking is really understanding the platform that we're, that we're going to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So again, let's say we're going to buy a life insurance policy with $500,000 death benefit. There's a minimum premium that you can pay and there's a maximum premium that you can pay. Now, a lot of people know that there would be a minimum premium that you would pay because the insurance company 
they would set that minimum premium and they would say, hey, we're not going to accept anything lower than that because we can't make a profit. But Nick, not very many people know that the government sets the maximum premium that you can pay. <laughs> Why is that? Well, the fact that they do that, that they limit how much money you can put into a life insurance policy says, what about it? It's got to be a good It's got to be good. And more specifically, Nick, it must be good in the relationship to one subject. What is that? Taxes. Taxes. Right? Okay, cool. Okay. So if yep. you imagine a piece of paper and there's at the bottom is a line, that's the minimum, right? The insurance company sets that. And then there's a maximum at the top of the, of the piece of paper. Between the minimum and the maximum is a corridor. Okay. Yep. Now, policies that are outside of that corridor. Now, they, there's only one way they can go because the insurance company is not going to let you pay less than their minimum. Okay. So policies outside this allowable corridor are determined to be modified endowment contracts or MECs. And that simply means okay. that the government will treat the insurance contract like they do qualified plans with all the rules, regulations, and related penalties. Okay. Which we don't have to get into right here, but it's not good. But okay. between the minimum and the maximum, there's almost an infinite amount of premiums that can be charged. Again, actuaries, they calculate the least amount of premium so that they charge and still make a profit. Remember, they're the engineers. But in the 1980s, the government drew that line that determined the maximum. Before that, there wasn't a maximum. You could put $500,000 in a $500,000 death benefit policy with 500,000 or with maybe more than 500,000 of death benefit, but you put 500 grand in and you'd have $500,000 of cash. Well, there was really nothing at risk, right? That sounds like a good deal. It was a great deal. And stockbrokers, as Nelson points out, the EF Hutton stuff, but stockbrokers were selling this stuff like it was going out of style, more than any insurance agent ever thought about selling it. But they drew this line and they determined the maximum amount of contributions or capitalization allowable for a given death benefit. If you exceeded it, again, it becomes a MEC or modified endowment contract, and it has all these rules that we don't want. So they accomplished that basically with two laws. DEFRA, okay. with, which just in case you want to know, it's the Deficit Reduction Act of 1984, and TAMRA, Technical and Miscellaneous Revenue Act of 1988. Now, I'm not going to get into why they're called what they're called and how they slip these in. I'm not going to get into that right now. But these two laws basically said this, the government cannot let people put unlimited contributions in a life insurance policy. Because if they did, they might not do what the government was encouraging them to do with their money. Nick, what was the government encouraging you to do with your money besides pay taxes? Put it in Wall Street. Put it in Wall Street through what? Qualified plans. A qualified plans, right? A qualified plan. Now, qualified plans defer the taxes. So, you know, I'm talking about your 401k, IRA, your SEP, your 403b. I mean, there's other plans, but you get the idea, right? Is this like paying, paying tax on the harvest instead of the Absolutely seed it is, because here's what they do. Qualified plans do a few things. They defer taxes. People assume that's a good thing. Okay. I don't think it's a good thing because I think taxes are on sale right now. But the bad thing that they do is they defer the tax calculation. 
or they postpone the tax calculation. So I'm not going to be taxed like the money that I were to put in my qualified plan right now. I don't get to have the tax qualified or calculated on those dollars with the tax code today. Right. Right. It's going to be 30 years from now when I take the withdrawal. Absolutely. Now, Nick, let me ask you a question. The government would not expect you to put, and we'll use your example, money in an account for 30 years and not tell you what tax rate they were going to use when you started to withdraw it, would they? (laughs) Well, now that I think about it, that's what's happening. That's what they do. Now, you wouldn't put money in a real estate investment if you didn't know the tax consequences, would you? Probably not. Okay, so I'm not going to beat up qualified plans anymore, but I want to just give you an example. So when these laws were enacted, people that already had these life insurance contracts that you're mentioning, 500,000 in, and then they get 500,000 of of cash and a little bit more death benefit, were those contracts affected? They were not. They were what's called grandfathered. They were left alone. You don't have to give them up. We're not changing the tax consequences in those policies that you bought, but anything from that date forward were under the new rules. And that's the last time we had, so that's a little over 30 years ago. That's the last time we really had any life insurance, you know, law reform. Is that Absolutely. Correct? Well, I mean, there was some technical things on corporate life insurance and, and stuff like that, but nothing that affects the, the average individual or small business owner. Okay. All right. So let me give you an example of this qualified plan thing really quick. Okay. So let's say, Nick, that you wanted to borrow 10 grand. Before you took the money, you'd ask two questions. How much interest do I have to pay? And number two, when do I have to pay it back? If the lender said to you, look, Nick, we have enough money right now and don't need any payments from you at this time, but there will come a time when we need the money. When we know how much we need, we'll be able to determine how much interest we have to charge you to get the amount we need. Now, that, remember, that's your loan. Would you cash that check? <laughs> no. No, but that's what you're doing with the qualified plan, right? Okay. okay. Let's get back to our life insurance lesson, or this podcast is going to be <laughs> just killing life insurance, or I mean, uh, qualified plans. All right, so back to our insurance lesson. Let's assume that you could pay $1,000 for that $500,000 of death benefit, or you could pay $10,000. Which one would you choose? I probably pay a thousand. That's right, because most people assume, and most people would say a thousand because less is best when it comes to cost. And I'm buying death benefit. Yeah, that's insurance as a commodity. The the commercial, like, how can I get the cheapest, you know, ten or twenty year term? That's policy? right. Now remember, the lowest premium is known as term insurance, which is all what all those companies are advertising. It provides one benefit, death benefit. That's it. One trick pony. One trick pony. So, Nick, for an insurance company to expect you to put $10,000 in a policy with an initial death benefit that you could get for $1,000, they'd have to come up with some serious benefits. Agreed? That's correct. So, let's forget about our life insurance just for a minute. And let's just talk about benefits in any vehicle one would use to accumulate money or build wealth. A major desire would be to maximize the amount of benefits, right? Now, by the way, in addition to achieving an acceptable rate of return, but if you could wave a magic wand, 
Nick, what benefits would you desire? Well, would you like the money to grow tax deferred as opposed to taxable? Mm, sure. Okay. Would you want tax-free distributions? Now you have my attention. <laughs> would you want a competitive rate of return? Absolutely. Would you want to be able to make large contributions? Because if I'm getting all this stuff, I want to put as much money in there as I can, right? So like, okay, yeah, I'm done with that. I, if I have a windfall and I'm like, hey, that's a really great place to stash my money over here, I, I want to do that, okay? All right, so, and, and by the way, also, you'd, you'd want additional benefits like long-term care, terminal care coverage, protection from creditors, death benefit. You'd want all those benefits too, right? Okay. Would you want to provide collateral opportunities? Meaning, would you want to be able to collateralize 100% of the value of this account? Uh, absolutely, if I could. Would you want it to be safe? Sure, yeah. Absolutely. Would you want a no loss provision, meaning you can't lose the money? Okay, so there's a floor to it, right? Absolutely. There's a guarantee of performance. Okay. Right? Would right. you want that loan, you know, if you collateralize it, would you want to have guaranteed loan options so you can't be not denied access to your money at any time? I mean, we got to make sure that we can get to our money and we have access, right? Like kind of like akin to, I don't call and ask for a loan. I call and tell them I want a loan. Yeah, send me the money, right? Okay. And by the way, if you took out that loan, who would you want to determine a payment schedule? You or the insurance company? Or the financial institution? Yeah, yeah, me. You. So an unstructured loan payment, right? You, you mean this is like the ideal thing for a control freak? This is the ideal thing for a control <laughs> freak. Because remember, whoever controls the money makes the money, right? Okay. So just a little thing for all of our control freaks out there. Okay, so you'd want liquidity, use, control of your money, right? Okay. Because I just said whoever controls the money makes the money. Yep. Would you want your contributions to be deductible if you could get it? Absolutely. Right. Okay. Now, out of all those benefits, you'd want the maximum of, of amount possible, right? Yep. Now, which of these benefits, by the way, do you get from a qualified plan? I don't see what maybe one of them. Well, you get tax deferred, potentially competitive rate of return. You know, we don't have to talk about the fees and everything else that erode those accounts. And you can deduct the contributions, right? Yep. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. But there's only one product that offers the majority of these benefits on the list. And it's a specifically designed whole life policy, insurance policy from a mutual insurance company. Now, permanent life insurance contracts offer all of the benefits listed except the contributions to a life insurance contract outside of a qualified plan are not deductible, but you get everything else, Nick. Hmm. Wow. By the way, this is not the normal life insurance contract that your life insurance agent would design for you. It's yeah. lower commission, higher performing. It's, it's built like Nelson says in these pages that we want you to read is it's a bank that has a side death benefit. We're using it and designing it to work as your family bank. If it was minimally funded, we'd get a minimum amount of those benefits. Sure. Right? That only makes sense. And as you move from the highest possible premium to the lowest, 
the value of those benefits decrease. The higher the premium, the higher the level of each of the benefits that we mentioned and that you said you wanted until, remember our line, our MEC line, until we get right to that line, but not, not over it, never over it. That position provides the greatest amount of benefits a life insurance contract has to offer. There's just a ton of misinformation out there about life insurance contracts. And what I appreciate is that you really distill down in this 10 minute presentation, the realities of what, what are happening. You know, the, I've heard, you know, some of the financial entertainers talk about how whole life is way too expensive. Right. Well, the reality of it is it's priced just like term. It's just a longer term, but I get multiple benefits from it. I love how you talk about this a lot is everything is broadcast to us as an either or, okay? Either my money's in here or it's over here, or I put my money in this and it's got one singular use. And when we, when we use this specifically designed life insurance contract, it's got multiple benefits to it. Like we call it an and asset, but it's and this, and this, and this. It's like, there's like a dozen ands in there. Like, where does it stop? Like, what are you willing to pay for that? Well, absolutely. And, and, you know, there's so many benefits because it's, it's again, like Nelson used to say, it's all about how we think. And, yeah. and by the way, when we maximize and we use a paid up additions rider to get as close to that mech line as possible, our banking system becomes as efficient as possible. Yeah. And in our capitalization, we have to look at that as a positive because we're not paying for death benefit. We are getting death benefit. We are paying for that, but that's not our main objective. By the way, Nick, after going through that 10 minutes, you and the audience, like, like you said before, like I like to say, is now you understand more about life insurance than most life insurance agents. Yeah. Because you understand how to make it a bank. Now, these pages, and as we go through this book, and we take a deep dive into the book, is we learn more and more every time, and hopefully today, in this episode, we learned a lot about life insurance, so that when our life insurance agent, or our cousin, or our, or our sorority sister says, well, you know, that's just overfunded life insurance, what you're doing, we know that. It's not because they're dumb. It's not because they're inadequate life insurance agent, but they're trained differently. Yeah. They're trained to look at life insurance in a different way. So if you want to look at life insurance like a bank, then go to createtailwind.com, schedule a coaching meeting. It's free. It's not painful. I promise. And talk to us about how you can become your own banker and you can use this life insurance contract like 90% or more life insurance don't understand how to use it. And until next time, Nick, when we dive into the book some more and listen to some of the other podcasts, get the information. We're all about helping you educate yourself about financial things out there in the world, about money, about banking. We're here to help. Thank you very much, Nick. Yeah, thank you. We'll see you next time, audience. Until next time, break away from the herd, will ya? Want to become your own banker and build wealth on your own terms? We'd love to help. Go to createtailwind.com to learn more and schedule a complimentary consultation.